In all felt descendants upon the Lord for his gracious help. We'll direct your prayerful attention this morning to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, and the latter part of verse 5. The book of Joshua, chapter 1, uh, the latter part of verse 5. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. These words, of course, were given by the Lord to Joshua for that which lay before him in carrying or taking the people of Israel through the Jordan into the Promised Land there to combat the enemies, the Canaanites that dwelt in the land. And it was a great work uh, that was laid before Joshua, a work that it was impossible for him to accomplish in his own strength. And so he proved his dependency upon the Lord his God. It is particularly then uh, to the journey of every child of God that we want to look this morning. And every one that is converted to the Lord needs these words applied unto them, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. How strange and mysterious is the path of a true believer. In his unconversion, he may have had his troubles, he may have had his fears, he may have many things that have come into his life, but in his own strength, he was able to deal with them as best he could. But these were but natural and providential trials that came upon him. But as soon as he began to gain an interest in the things of God, then he met with an unexpected opposition, an opposition that he had not considered would come upon him. Because we can be sure that if a person gain even a slight interest in the things of God, then the devil seeks to oppose. He seeks to cut short that interest, to overturn all desires, and to show uh, the man or the woman uh, that things are much easier, much more comfortable uh, without being serious in any religion. And so there was this contention uh, that came against him. Uh, this which brought many doubts and fears. And perhaps alongside with it, there were troubles uh, which he had not expected, I say, but troubles uh, concerning his religious state and condition. Many were his doubts and his fears. Many times he wondered 
Has God even begun a good work in my heart? Is there anything in me or is it just uh, uh, my dream, my imagination uh, that these things are at all real? And perhaps at that time he looks back. He looks back on his former life and he sees how comfortable things were. And like the children of Israel, when they came into the wilderness, they remembered the flesh pots of Egypt. And one can only wonder uh, when they said that we had bread to the full, whether that was a truth. Because they were slaves. And slaves are not usually fed to the full. But memory sometimes is selective. And perhaps they remembered the good parts, but forgot uh, the evil parts. And so it may be with us that we remember uh, some of the good things of life uh, previous to our interest in the things of God, and we forget uh, the difficulties and troubles that we possessed then. But he who had begun a good work in you, here is the foundation for our most holy faith. It's not us taking hold of God, but rather God taking hold of us. And it is a wonderful mercy when God begins to lay his hands, as it were, uh, upon a certain person, that he singles them out for his special grace and favour. But let us not think uh, that we have any strength or will of our own uh, to come to God. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. In our nature, we have no heart for God. We have no desire for the Most High. And again, we take the illustration of Saul of Tarsus. As we mentioned in prayer, he had a hatred, an enmity toward the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we may not, in our nature, have that outward hostility. We not, may not go to the length that Saul went to, uh, but we are all, by nature, enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Is it feasible to imagine that Saul would have turned himself to the Lord? And the question is really ridiculous uh, to think that ever he would change his mind and then change his direction of the one he hated suddenly that he should love them. We know people do change. They change in their opinions. Uh, they change in their expectations, their desires. There are changes which come upon people. But these are natural changes. 
And the word of God says, they that have no changes, that is, no spiritual changes, fear not God. And again, we cannot change ourselves. We have to be changed. And it is our mercy when the Lord begins to take hold upon us, to reveal in us his only beloved Son, uh, Jesus Christ. And what desire has a person for a Saviour who doesn't feel their need to be saved? You take the case of the parable of the lost sheep. The lost sheep wandered from the fold and wandered into hidden pathways and then became tangled in the bushes, unable to release itself, unable to do anything for itself. Well, the Lord will bring his people at times into such a condition they wander from the Lord, may not practically, but in their own minds and with their own desires. They turn away from the Lord, away from the things of God. They have no heart or desire. And they see pleasures in the world, illegitimate pleasures, pleasures which are not real but supposed, pleasures which even if they exist, only last for a moment, and then the misery follows after them. And so uh, the sheep wanders until it's in a hopeless and helpless position, can do nothing for itself. But the good shepherd leaves the 99 in the fold and goes after his lost sheep and is not content until he finds it. And finding it, releases it, lays it upon his shoulder, and carries it back to the fold. Now the point here is this, that the sheep was always a sheep. It wasn't a goat. And it always belonged unto the good shepherd. But now... And only now, when the Lord has intervened, has the sheep returned to be amongst the fold, to take its part, as it were, among the rest. We could also describe that of the prodigal son. The prodigal son left his home. He wanted the world. He had his fill of the world and found that the world at last left him in emptiness. Oh, if only uh, there were those uh, out in the world who could realise their great folly in thinking that the world gives them an advantage. Uh, the world has no love toward them, has no desire for them, and let them soon turn and they will prove it as a prodigal son when he had no more money uh, to buy his pleasures 
had to leave. The world did not support him, did not give him anything, did not comfort him, did not help him, did not shelter him. No, he had to wander off and he found employment in feeding the swine, feeding them with the husk and he became so hungry that he fain would have eaten of the husks. But then the Lord brought to his mind his father's house, the blessings that he had there, that which he had rebelled and turned from, that which he foolishly had given up. And he comes to consider in his mind uh, that the only hope for him now was to return. I will return unto my father's house. And he would return with repentance. He repented of his former life, of what he had done, of his great rebellion, the hardness of his heart, his unbelief, his waywardness, his folly and his shame. Now these graphically came to his mind and he had a true godly sorrow for his sin. And so he takes a journey. And what a journey it must have been. How hard it must have been for that young man to return, not knowing in his own mind whether he would be received. And no doubt many temptations would come upon him uh, that he would be cast out. But all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And here was his blessing, uh, that he could return. And the father saw his return, went out and met him, put on him the best robe, killed the fatted calf, rejoiced, in this my son that was lost is now found. And again the point is this, he was always his son, now he's a son indeed. So it is with all the Lord's people. They are by nature sold under sin. Whether they understand that or not, they may feel to have led respectable lives. We've never done anything uh, too bad. And so there is a, a building up of self-righteousness well, we're not too bad. Yes, but you're not too good either. And one sin, one small sin, if there be such a thing as a small sin, will contemn us to eternal misery. But God is greater than our sins. And if he has a favour toward us, that favour is to be revealed in us. And so the Lord draws his chosen race. He calls forth his people unto himself that they might serve and follow him. It is upon conversion that the life of a believer really begins. We use the illustration often of the children of Israel in Egypt they were the Lord's people. They had called upon the name of the Lord. 
they had sought relief from their God and God had appeared from for them and the Lord by a series of wonderful miracles uh, which he performed against the Egyptians the plagues which came upon them uh, guaranteed their release but it was when they crossed uh, the Red Sea when they came into the wilderness and it's aptly called the wilderness of sin we live in a world of sin we are exhorted to be in the world but not of the world we're not like those who shut ourselves up in monasteries uh, thinking that the world will not affect us therefore we will live this godly holy life uh, because although we may keep the world out practically we cannot keep the world out experimentally the world is in us we have an old nature uh, which we will carry in this a dying body of ours till the very day of our death and it is that which we have to contend with as well as the opposition that we meet without in the world but these words are words of encouragement i will not fail thee nor forsake thee i will never leave thee nor forsake thee it is the lord then taking hold upon us let us not think uh, that when we're converted and perhaps in those early halcyon days when the love of christ is so shed abroad in our hearts uh, that we feel a nearness to him we feel as it were upon the top of mount zion uh, there to breathe a, a new a fresh air those are wonderful times the times of our first love uh, and many a child of god looks back upon them uh, with great desire uh, that they may return again but we can be sure uh, that if we are converted unto the lord jesus christ we have enemies as joshua led the children of israel into the promised land they met with enemies they had to contend with opposition uh, and this is where they need these words i will not fail thee nor forsake thee the lord of hosts is ever with his people he is a refuge to poor how deserving sinners a refuge for sinners the gospel makes known it is found it is found in christ christ the church's living head the christ the savior of his people israel christ their all and in all so do we now having been converted have that faith which is full and assured 
We may think so, but time will prove it. Because again, it's not of ourselves. Faith does not spring up voluntarily within us. Faith is a gift of God. And when the Lord gives us like precious faith with the saints of God of old, then we can accomplish all things. We can fight every battle. We can overcome every enemy and we will stand at last. But if that faith be withdrawn, if the Lord is pleased at times to hide his face, the child begins to grieve. Why am I thus? And again, he may look to the world and see they have no cares. They don't have the same sorrows. They don't have the exercises that I have. They don't feel to be in the valley of dejection, in the valley of the shadow of death. They don't have the doubts and fears that I have. Left to myself, I see myself a wretch and undone. And who can help me but God? But God has hidden his face. Everything seems to be darkness. We're walking, uh, blindfolded as it were, and we know not what to do. What a mercy then uh, that we can recount these words and we can turn again to them time and time again I will never, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. The Lord maintains his people, even in the darkest places. And again, I know we use these illustrations so often, but they're set in the word of God for our help. The case of David, when he had sinned against God. And he had to say, against thee only have I sinned. You know, the child of God thinks that once he's converted, then everything is well, everything is plain sailing. And there are those who think they have a religion. They have a religion of the head, perhaps it is true, but no religion of the heart. They cannot understand the exercises of a child of God. They say, pull yourselves together, believe in God. God is always with you. Uh, God is your helper. Uh, you shouldn't doubt. It, it, it's wrong to doubt the Lord. Uh, you should be happy. You should always be rejoicing. You should always be in, in that high place. And I'm sure most of us have encountered such people who are always full of assurance. Uh, they know that they're saved. They know it's well. Therefore, uh, sin does not annoy them and doubts and fears do not come into their experience. David then is a wonderful example of this. In Psalm 51, his wonderful penitential psalm, he says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. 
Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which, listen to this, which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Was David a converted man? Assuredly he was. He was a child of God. He had been truly converted. Oh, the Lord was with him. And these words that were given to Joshua were uh, just the same given to him. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And yet David enters into sin. And this is his answer. This is his expression of true repentance toward God. This is uh, an acknowledgement of his helplessness in himself. Isn't David counted among the greats? Is he not one of the names that reoccurs throughout the scriptures right unto the end? Was not Christ to be of the seed of David, uh, this great king? And the Jews expressed their desire uh, that they should have a king like unto David uh, to rule over them forever. Well, that king appeared, the Lord Jesus Christ is upon the throne. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But nevertheless, David had entered into sin and he felt the weight of that sin. He understood that if God did not forgive him, then his sin would condemn him forever and ever. Oh, how we need to be sympathetic uh, to God's saints that fall into sin uh, because we have to be careful in saying we stand lest we should fall. Uh, and so uh, David fell, but David brings forth from the treasures of his heart uh, that God had renewed uh, this penitential psalm, this prayer of David for forgiveness. And so uh, the Lord's people know what it is at times to fall, perhaps not into open sin, but sins of omission, sins of commission, sins as deep as is the sea, sins of every type and kind, sins that enter into our thoughts, voluntary or involuntary. We cannot get away from sin. All have sinned, we sin daily. And so we need to repent daily. Daily I'd repent of sin. Daily wash in Calvary's blood. Now the outward believer, the free willer, thinks that he has the power to restore himself, to come back to God. But of course he cannot. He may in his own imagination, he may think that he has put things right with God. 
but has God put things right with him? You know, my friends, we need a religion that is real. We need a religion of the heart and not just of the mind. It's so easy for those of you who have been brought up all your days to attend a place of worship, to hear a true preaching of the gospel, you who perhaps have been well guarded by your parents and brought up aright, you have not perhaps wandered too far from the fold. It's so easy to rest upon that. But that religion will never take you to heaven. Be assured of this. He who knows no changes fears not God. We need a change. And that change has to be wrought by God. We cannot change ourselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, both to convince us of our sins and to lead us to the precious blood of the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Peter is the other example, or perhaps best well known, uh, Peter's was a, a very grievous sin, uh, and we cannot take anything away from it. With oaths and curses, he denied uh, the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Now we're told quite expressly in God's word uh, that if we do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall perish. But here again, and the great point, again, is this, that Peter was a child of God. Peter could not perish. And so we have those wonderful words taught us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have we ever come there? Have we ever knelt before our God in humble repentance? Lord, I am a sinner. I have sinned. My sins testify against me. I carry the weight and burden of these sins. Lord, deliver me. Lord, relieve me. Lord, set me free. And if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But we need that freeness to be given unto us. Uh, we cannot extricate ourselves uh, from a lost condition. Uh, so it is the Lord taking hold of us and not us taking hold of him. I saw a, a wonderful illustration of this recently, very simple illustration, and it spoke of a man taking hold of some papers and putting them in a paper clip. And whilst they're in the paper clip, uh, the papers could not be lost. But take it out into the wind and release the paper clip, and the papers fly which, whatever way. Now, there is a sense, whilst they're in the paperclip, uh, that they lay hold of the paperclip. 
but in reality, the paperclip lays hold upon them. Now, perhaps you can see this simple illustration. We, by faith, and that given, of course, have a certain hold upon the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But it's only because he has a hold of us. If he were to release us to our own thoughts and imaginations and desires, at times we would be like the paper that flies away or all over the place and is lost. How dependent we are upon the Lord for everything. Without thee, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. Uh, and so we prove it, uh, that we have no religion of our own. Those that can boast of always having a good religion, uh, we must sincerely doubt as to the reality of it. It's not in the experience of the saints of God. Now tell me, what could Peter do after such a rebellion against his God? What could he do but go home and die? But that was not the Lord's will and purpose. And we're told expressly that the Lord Jesus Christ looked upon Peter. And what a look it must have been. We read also that Peter went out and wept bitterly. When I am weak, then am I strong. But the opposite is also true. When I am strong in myself, then am I weak. And we are ever in danger of falling into temptation. But again, these words, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And how often Satan comes to a child of God and says, because of those thoughts that go through your mind, uh, because of the words that sometimes you, you speak inadvertently, uh, sometimes because of actions that you take, you cannot be a child of God. And be assured that these temptations are very real. They truly try and affect a child of God. And if we are left to ourselves, we must fall under every temptation. We cannot stand against the wiles of the devil in our own strength. Only as we have the whole armour of God and wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and have upon our heads a helmet of salvation, God's salvation. Only in his strength can we overcome. Left to ourselves, we are but poor and weak and wretched. Remember the martyr? He was to be put to the flames on the following day and he felt so weak and he put his finger toward the candle and the pain 
were so great he couldn't bear it. How could he go forth then, on the next day, only under duress, only as he was dragged to the very place? But the Lord appeared for him. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. If God is with us, then all things are possible. Our strength is in the Lord our God, and again, not in ourselves. And on that next day, great courage was given, and he went boldly and rejoiced in the very flames that would soon remove him from this world into the world that was to come. Like the dying faith, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What a glorious hope the Christian truly has. His hope is in the Lord his God, who will not fail him nor forsake him. There comes times, of course, when we feel uh, that the Lord has forsaken us. Where is now thy God? And it's not always easy uh, to reply, my God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath done. Strange and mysterious are our lives. And we're brought into situations at times uh, that we cannot understand. And we cannot see any way to extricate ourselves out of the situation. Everything seems helpless and hopeless. And we try and imagine any way that we might relieve ourselves, any way that we might get deliverance. We might turn to fellow uh, friends uh, and ask for their help but we find they are just as helpless if not more so than ourselves we may turn to a minister we may turn wherever we may but until we turn to God the situation can never be resolved but remember this that the Lord has ordained the pathway of your life. All things are known unto him. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Now these expressions, walking through the floods and through the fires, are meant uh, for what they are. These fiery trials, these great temptations which follow the child of God are real. They're not just a dream. They're not just part of our imaginations. These trials come upon us and severely try us. They try us as to whether we have any faith. And we come to that solemn conclusion, no, I have no faith, no faith of my own. I'm dependent upon God to give me faith. 
and if I cannot see God at this present time, my only hope, my only comfort is this, that thou, God, seest me. He knows the way I take. He has planned it. Uh, and all things must surely come to pass according to the purpose of his will. But these trials are for a purpose. The Lord has a reason in them. They don't come haphazardly. They don't come by what we call chance. They come exactly as the Lord has proposed that they should come. It is the Lord that puts us in the trial. But it's also the Lord that sustains us in the trial. Think of Abraham. Take thy son, thine only son, and sacrifice him uh, upon the altar. How would it be with you if God was to propose that to your hearts? How would you feel? And especially if it's your only child, your only son or your only daughter, and you have to sacrifice them because God has told you to. Where is now your faith? Can you find it in yourself? Can you uh, be given it by family or friends or neighbours? No, again, you experience, you have no faith. But then God gives faith. He gives that wonderful faith to trust in him. And as we so often quote the words, the lines of the hymn, too wise to be mistaken, he, too good to be unkind. The Lord will never lay upon us more than we can bear. He gives us that faith to believe that he will intervene in all things on our behalf. He will carry us safely through. Well, what happened with Abraham and Isaac? They come to the top of the hill where God had shown them. He builds an altar. He lays his son. He ties him to the altar. He has a fire in his hand. He has a knife in his hand. He's ready to obey God. What wonderful faith. The faith of God's elect. That faith that can remove mountains. That faith that can overcome all obstacles. That faith to trust in God at all times and lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways to acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. Faith. God-given faith. And at the time Abraham is about to fulfill what God had instructed him to do, the Lord intervenes, shows him, a substitute uh, that is to be sacrificed in his stead. And isn't this the very essence of the gospel? That we are sinners. We are fallen creatures. We have no help in self. But God sent his only beloved son into this world to be a sacrifice for our sins, to be the sinner's substitute, to pay that ultimate price 
that awful price of all our sin. And in him, we see our salvation and in him alone. Jesus only can do helpless sinners good. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now, many of you are younger, uh, but some are getting up in age. And before us lay the day of our death. Death one day will come to me, says the poet. And so it will come to each one of us, except the Lord himself come again. How will it be in the swellings of Jordan? How will it be in that day when we're called to die? If we have our own religion, if our religion is of the flesh and not of the spirit, what comfort can we afford ourselves at such a time as that? Well, all our religion at such a time will fly away and we shall lie there destitute of any good thing. What a solemn place to be, coming down uh, to the hour and article of death, and yet having no religion, having no God, no Christ, no intercessor. And we can only await the appointed time when Christ upon the judgment throne shall say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. But the child of God, as he comes toward the end of his days, again he may be troubled with many, many fears. Satan may vex him sorely, and he may doubt whether he has any religion uh, to land him safe. But you see, his religion does not depend upon his thoughts, thoughts or feelings. His religion is in the hands of God. God gave him a religion, and God has sustained his religion all his days. Now, will God fail him and forsake him at the very time when he needs him most? Can we think such a thing? of a sovereign God, a loving, tender, kind, compassionate God. He knows all that we pass through and all that we are passing through. He knows the end from the beginning. And it is well with the righteous. And that soul will be safely landed into glory. Come in thou, blessed of the Lord. Come thou into the kingdom of God, come and sit down at the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because of this, thy name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thy name is written there and can never be excluded, can never be deleted. And so if the Lord has given us a good foundation at the beginning, if we have a true conversion, that religion will sustain us because God will sustain us all our journey through and land us at last in eternal glory. 
Ah, that we might pray, God, give me such a religion as this. Let me not uh, rest upon feelings and frames, but rather in the living God. Lord, give me like precious faith with the saints of God. Then I shall know that this promise that was given to Joshua is also given unto me. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. The Lord bless his own word to us. For his name's sake. Amen.